everybody. Welcome to Listen Money Matters. Salary is vanity. Savings are sanity. My name is Matt, and I'm here, as always, with Andrew. Andrew, how are you, and what are you drinking? Dude, I am excellent. Great. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> cool. Great. Uh, I'm, I'm drinking a Cape May Brewing Co. Oh. City to Shore. Yeah. I believe this is uh, the last one I have from you that you... Oh, really? Got. Yeah. Uh, you've been crushing them, huh? Well, I, you know, hard liquor alone is not as fun as like a beer alone. Sure. So that's a double IPA, I think, right? Yeah, it's a double. Ooh. Um, I am drinking a, it's called Thick Blueberry Goo. And uh, oh. it is a smoothie style Berliner Weiss from Knotted Root Brewing up in Nederland, Colorado. I have to admit. The, the beer with like the fruit or the sours. I mean, look I, at this color, man. That is like, uh, that is juice, basically. I I have to admit, I've been enjoying them lately. Yeah. So our catchphrase today comes from Harsh from our Facebook group. Thank you, Harsh. Um, and I'm hoping to say your name right. This seems to be spelled that way. So uh, if you have catchphrases, please send them in. Either listenmoneymatters at gmail.com or our Twitter handle, at Money Matters Man. Appreciate that. So today, we have five questions from our audience, and we're going to be talking about timeshares, peer-to-peer lending, and fuck you money. Yes. All right. So let's just let's go. Are you ready to do it? Yeah. Right, Born cool. ready. Here we go. All right. First question comes from Kylen. Kylene? I'm going to say Kylene. Mm. I know it was a stupid purchase and almost immediately regretted it. But my wife and I gave into a salesman buying a timeshare in the Cayman Islands. Oh, boy. (laughs) Which, having to go on vacation every other year isn't the worst problem to have, but we don't need it. Curious about your thoughts on the whole deal. One, should we just pay it off and sell it or give it away because that seems like all we can do or just keep it and enjoy it? So... I think anything that needs a hard sell where you're essentially locked into a room and they bait you with like free jet ski rides to get you even in there is maybe an indication. Um, but but math wise, did some of the research. Okay. And, um, you know, there are transfer fees and there's all fees and you have to pay a certain amount of monthly dues often anyways. And then you obviously paid for the timeshare. And when you distill it down, to an average per night price, it's only a, a really moderate discount on what you would normally pay for at that place, you know, per night. And yeah, so just- you're paying in advance to save little bits, but in this case, they they know that you won't consume it often. Right. You won't go every year. Right. Maybe the first year, the second year, but you know, how many years? Same yeah. hotel, same, same place. food at the pool. Yep. So what's your answer? No, sell that as yeah. quick as possible. Yeah. Or like try and wiggle out of the contract if, if it's still soon. Yeah. Plus you're paying for plane tickets to get there. Like there's added expenses on in going to the Cayman Islands. And maybe one year you want to save money, still go on a pretty dope vacation, but it's only like a car ride away, mm. you know? But now you feel forced to pay for this plane ticket to go to this place because you bought it in advance. And yeah, you don't even want to. You're trying to pawn it off on somebody. Yeah, we were on vacation. And I think it was maybe in Mexico with my family when I was a kid. 
And uh, we went to this hotel and it was amazing. We did the timeshare because of the free jet ski rides or something. And but you did the pitch. Well, yeah, my whole family sat through this pitch. Yeah, you didn't actually have a timeshare. My sister and I loved it. And we wound up like kind of convincing my parents. My dad kind of wanted to do it too. My mom was staunchly against it. We wore her down. They signed it. Went home to go to bed, and my parents proceeded to like have a massive fight all night. We had already signed the contract, sent it in, and my mom basically told my dad that he had to reverse it. No, you have to reverse it. I can't. You have to do it. So he called. We were in our hotel room in in another country. He called lawyers. Whatever they were able to get out of it because there was no. There's a review period. Yeah. So even if you sign these things, you could still back out. Yep. Yeah. And, and just to, you know, I think, yeah, sell it, obviously. Um, I don't know what the, if there's any penalties or anything involved in that. So obviously do the math before you make any decisions. Some um, cost in that case. Some cost. Yes, of course. Um, I will say just in the future, this is not the only time this happens. This happens. It's one of one. It's predatory. So mm. um, there's a documentary called uh, Queen of Versailles. I think it's on Netflix. Uh-huh. And that's mm-hmm. what that guy did. He sold timeshares and he's a major asshole. And it's like, hey, watch that documentary. You'll never buy a timeshare ever <laughs> because that guy is such an asshole. You're not going to want to give any money to him. Plus, he lost all his money in 2008. So fuck him. Um, two, this happens with seminars. You go to a seminar like that's free and it's going to teach you how to make more money. You know, anything with rich- an R at the end, you should never. Attend. Yeah. Yeah. Little rich dad, poor dad, little Robert Kawasaki. Come, come to my thing. It's free. We're it's just going to chat. We're just going to talk about money and I'm going to make, I'm going to change your fucking life, man. And so guess what? Why are they what? dead bolting the doors and handcuffing <laughs> me? Um, can I, I can't I use the bathroom, sir. <laughs> Sorry. You have to wait for the pitch. Pitch is coming. <laughs> Life's a pitch. Am I right? <laughs> anyway uh, so that's super high freaking car salesman mm. super high pressure right you're you're kind of like locked in they make you wait it's awful all this shit is awful anything that that isn't like that that happens to you and you can recognize it don't buy it just get the fuck out it's awful if it was so good you'd be buying it without someone selling it to you for yep. like three hours yep so just a future future proof that shit. Uh, so I'm going to say Kylan. That's the name. Mm, I think so. All right. Thank you, Kylan. Question number two. Was stumbling back through some of the archives and dug into your Lending Club strategy episode. And I wanted to know if you still subscribe to those ideas. Do you still use the platform? Any change of thoughts? Also, where are you putting your money these days? You said a little while ago that you doubled the amount that you put into Fundrise. What's your portfolio looking like? Hmm. This is a, this is clearly for you, man. <laughs> do, do you remember that strategy episode? The which one? The Lending Club one. I wasn't. Was I? Yeah, was I, was, that was I like know. super way way back. Oh, that way was, back, way back. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I do. Don't, re- don't bullshit me. <laughs> I do remember it. I know. I do remember. I, I was. I, I saw his fun rise, and I'm like, uh, no, I wasn't around for the fun rise days. But yes, landing club. I remember you equating it to like Jersey loan sharks. <laughs> okay. So, so for anyone who doesn't know, lending club is a way that if Matt, if you needed to get a loan, me and a bunch of other investors could 
contribute to your loan <clears throat> it with under the idea that like we will get paid back you yeah. know over time you know monthly whatever the, the payment schedule is mm-hmm. um for people who can't get banked and often the rates are better than banks because i'm willing to take far less of a cut or, or uh, you know Rest make as too. less money than a bank yeah um it's i think it's still a great idea uh it turns out and, and I think I, I hope I alluded to it as much. It's a lot of work because uh, when you go to pick a loan, I think that you should look into the person and understand what they do for their you know job, how much money they make, what is the purpose of the loan. You're only going to do good if you kind of like imagine you or them, you know, if they're taking out a loan for their wedding, I would never fund that loan. If it's right. for a vacation, never. If they're going to refinance their debt, like at least it seems like they're trying to do something smart. Yeah. So it's just a lot of work. And so what is your strategy now? Um, just I'm like basically for whatever loans that still exist, I'm just collecting the payments, but I'm not making new uh, investments. Just because it's not worth the effort. Yeah. Like they have an automated thing that mm-hmm. can go out and just, but I can't do that. Like I need, I need to know the loans I'm investing in. Yeah, and do you think it's good for some people and just not for you? Yeah, I, I would say it. It's more towards that like riskier ten percent of your portfolio. You're going to get great returns, mm-hmm. uh, but you're going to be taking on a lot of risk, and yeah. so it's not like your bread and butter shouldn't be in it. Okay, so it's kind of like day trading. Uh, it's a little with a little more research. It's it's slower. It's much slower. Okay, but, you know you're you're making. Indiv- I would make. Small $25 bets per loan. Okay. Um, so do you still use it? I I don't actively put more money in. Okay. But you're taking the returns that you're getting from it. Right. And eventually all the loans will come to completion. And then I'll probably just leave the account, close it, whatever. Now, what about Fundrise? Fundrise, I love. I feel like, uh, first of all, they, they do pay us money. Not nearly as much as they should. Or I would like them to, but mm-hmm. I really, really do like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I really resonate with their strategy. Um, again, that is more towards the ten percent. Yeah, or, or maybe even a bit larger percent. But this is after you have your emergency funds and your base, your yes. core things in place. And do you um, actively put more money into that, or are you mostly just collecting returns on the initial amount that you put in? A hundred percent of my investments are well. Rather, better way to say is half my monthly investments are going to Fundrise, half are going into the Golden Butterfly. Oh, so you are putting a lot of money into Fundrise? Yes, yeah. It it that and the Golden Butterfly are the only things that I aside from investing in Listen Money Matters and the rental properties you have are not through Fundrise. They are not. Yeah, that's a separate thing. Hmm. Okay, and I mean that that winds up playing out as like. Laura and I stalk it out for a while. We find this one, and then it's just like a lot of money at once. But it, like we wait for the deal that we really, really want. Got it. Well, I think that it answers the question. Agreed. Perfect. Thank you, Spencer. Moving on. All right. <laughs> this is a good one. This question is from the Facebook community. Also, you can send your questions to the Facebook community. Fuck you, money. What is the meaning of fuck you, money? I'm not all that clear with it. Countless people dream of being rich, but often, but more often circumstances always seem to defeat their dreams. So what 
step-by-step strategy such such a person person adopt to help uh so let's just that i feel like let's let's own the term fuck you money i want to yeah. own this term go um for it. well i i did that's all i just wanted to own it all right can i have it's it your, it's yours thank you all right thank you <laughs> Basically, I mean, what do you think? I mean, what do you, what is your interpretation of what it means? So it is not an amount. It is yep. not like, you know, when I have like $11 billion or whatever, the, the idea of fuck you money, freedom. It's the amount of money that you can make the decisions that you need to make. Yep. It's, it's, I, I would say it's similar to the freedom number. I know that's a, that's a thing that people like to cite, um, but it's really a little bit more than the freedom number because it's mm. not like the bare minimum that you need. It's like you are in a, you're in such a comfortable position with your investments or with your business or whatever, however you decide to earn your money that you can basically like say fuck off to things in your life that you just dislike. I think too, like it might be saying, you know, fuck you to cleaning your house. It might be saying, you know, things that you like really dislike doing, like fuck you to your health, go hire uh, a personal trainer, like things that like they feel very rich, but it, you're you're saying fuck you to the negative part of it, right? And you have enough money to be able to say those words and and be able to make those decisions and actions. Yeah, like let's say you have this job that you loathe going to, pays mm-hmm. you well, and you feel like you have to do it. Yeah. If you have enough money to survive for two years and then perhaps not even be destitute at the end of two years, you have the ability to leave that job mm-hmm. and get something that fulfills you. Yeah. And I think that is... That's too, yeah. It doesn't require a ton of money to just straight up leave your job and never work again. It could just be you have enough freedom in in saying that that job sucks and you want something new. Like maybe you can take a, a week or two break or a month break to go find a job that actually does suit you better. Like arguably I'd say neither of us can not work for the rest of our lives. True. You know, and, and you could be like, well, if maybe I moved to Bali and I lived yeah. on a beach or whatever, but the, the idea is we have enough resources that we can do the things that we need to do. Yeah, and your lifestyle definitely dictates that as well, right? Mm. Um, what is a really broad step-by-step guide to getting to a place where you can say that you have fuck you money? One, you got to know roughly what that number might be. And okay. I, this, is, this is not the retirement amount. This is not the 4% rule. This is maybe more akin to like when I left my job to do Listen Money Matters full-time. It's like how like Laura and I agreed to a number of dollars that we needed in the bank for me to take this leap. We're like, okay, I could always get another job if after X months it doesn't work out. And maybe it was like $50,000 or whatever it was. We saved. Um, And so one is knowing it. Mm -hmm. And then I think it's just coming up with the plan so that you know that you can get it in one, two, 12, 50 months. Yeah. I mean, and and, and it's really kind of simple. It's all just math. At that mm. point, so it's I think it's mindset and then math, right? Mindset being okay, I'm going to re- reshape the way I think about money and reshape my my goal and go, okay, I'm gonna do this. Like when I decided that I'm gonna be, I'm, I said to myself, I'm not gonna be shitty with money anymore, right? And that was the moment I changed my mindset and then started to build habits in that 
in that direction, right? Mm. Um, and so I think the mindset thing needs to happen first. And you can do that by listening to this podcast. You can read books. You can literally sit down and do a bunch of like exercises where you write a bunch of shit down. And like, that's the first step. And then the second step, I think the, broadly is like writing down all your expenses and combing through it and deleting shit and just like ruthlessly cut expenses and then save for an emergency fund and then start paying off debt and then get to a place where you're saving money um, through either either with in a, in a high yield savings account and or investing in retirement slash brokerage account, whatever, investing, make it as simple in yourself as possible or as, or as um, complex as you want to take it. I think if you're just getting started in this realm, you need to start very small, one step at a time. And then at a certain point over many years, you will hit a number and it'll be your fuck you money number and you'll be good. Just know the mindset in the very beginning dictates the entire rest of it. You have to realize in the beginning that one, you need to make the decision to do that. And two, it's going to take some time, you know? And I, I even just want to harp on the first piece that you said, where it was like, you go into your expenses and you delete stuff because we talk a lot about where you can invest and different strategies. None of that is even close to as important as the ratio between the amount that you earn and the amount that you spend monthly to live. Yep. Fixing that has uh, you that that is worth multiples more than oh, yeah. any other decision that you will make. Yep. And it's really like you you think you need things and then you and then if you switch your mindset, which is not easy to do, I'll I'll, I'll recognize that. But w- when you do, you start to realize, oh yeah, I don't really I don't really need that. And or, it's not about being cheap. No, no, I'm I'm saying the exact opposite of that. Yeah. It's not. I am not. I am not cheap at all. I, I don't think that you are. Like when it comes to buying beer, baby, I am a beer machine. <laughs> okay, but when it comes to buying clothes, which I don't value, but yet somehow like people, you know, I might have people around you. I'm like, I don't really like clothes. You know, I might. I, I use that example a lot, but there are just things that I don't value, and yet people say you need those things, and you know, it's like. I don't know. It just, you got to look, you have to get to a place where you have to look at every single decision that you make in how you spend your money and scrutinize the shit out of it and ask yourself, do I really need this? And would I be happy? Or how much excitement does it bring me to do this thing? And if it's like a five on a scale of one to 10, then like, uh, maybe not do that. And then take that money and, and reshift it into, an investment so that you can get to your fuck you money number faster. There is a scenario where you could spend less total money, but more on things that you care about. So if you love beer, spend more on beer, but the sum total could be less because you're just not going to be sloppy. Right. You don't need Disney plus Hulu plus Netflix plus Apple plus Comcast. You don't need that many fucking channels in your life. Yeah. That's Pick one way. One. <laughs> that's, that's how I feel. It's too many. It's too many things. Too many things to watch. It's getting between you and your goals anyways. Yeah. And you know what? You might say like, yeah, but it's only $10 a month. Yeah, it's only $5 a month. Okay. But that $5 can be earning compound interest over the next 10 years. That's, and it's death by a thousand cuts. It's yeah. how many $5 wonton decisions. Yep. So that's three questions. We have two more to go, and we're going to take a break real quick, but after that, we're going to talk about the first steps to buying a rental property and what to do with a million-dollar 
inheritance. So stick around. We'll be right back. All right. Question number four. Are you ready? I love your radio voice. This is also a question from the Facebook community. (laughs) I'll do the whole question in my radio voice. Sorry for everyone who thinks it's annoying. For those scared to take the first step, how to avoid unnecessary risk, how to prepare yourself before diving in, walking through the steps of how to begin purchasing a property. Yeah, no one uh, screens these questions for grammar. <laughs> well, because we know you're going to read it exactly. So yeah, I'm, it was I'm actually well written, and we kind of cut it up a little bit. All right, so dude, this is like, I'll tell you what. There's a, there's a lot of talk in the personal finance community about buying rental properties. It's like it's like the hotness. It's 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 yeah. I'm not a real big fan of it because obviously I've I own a rental property, but not that wasn't my intention. Accidental rental. Accidental, property. yeah, landlord. So I am currently, I would be very scared, even at this point in my life. And I think I'm just maybe I think I'd rather I think I have another thing that I invest in, which is business and not, but if you're not a business owner. Yeah, how do you get over that fear of like cuz it is a it is like a lot of cash just like that that could be a mistake cuz they they say like a lot of people who buy their first or second home like that's a big regret in life is is the purchasing of a home because it's such a big expense and a lot of capital is required to obtain it. So one the the number that you would put out for a rental property will be a lot, you know, $20,000. I don't care how much money you make. $20,000 is a lot of money. A lot of money. Um, and you'd probably be putting between 10 and 30 at the ultimate extreme um, for something I think that you should buy, you know, yeah, higher being ridiculous. But before you do anything, I mean, you have to run the numbers. We, we made a tool. It's called Investable, getinvestable.co. You can go there, check it out, run the numbers. But one, you're not going to have massive regret if you have reasonable expectations. So that, that's what running the numbers will do. Okay. Now, um, as you kind of like build wealth and you get more money, um, you, you worry about like, how will it get away from me? How will I lose it all? And it's very emblematic of this rental property idea because it's a lot of money concentrated in one place, perhaps with a lot of expectations. Yeah. So things like insurance are super important because that is a major way to mitigate risk. Besides the fact that you will have to get it with um, a mortgage, Mm -hmm. like if you have a mortgage, you'll have to have one. But things like that are extremely important to you not losing money or investment. Finding a team that actually gives a shit about your rental property, like a property management company, is another major way to mitigate risk. When there's an, uh, an overflowing toilet, are they going to get there in an hour? Are they going to get there in a week? You know, And what damage will happen in between the overflow and when they get there? It's like these little things. And so I think you have to think of it holistically. It's not just about buying this address on the street. Yeah. I also think too, it, it's not really about, I want to invest in rental properties because the returns are insane. You can't look at it that way. Mm. The way that I would do this, and I think is probably the way you do it as well, is do your research and you really sit down. And I mean, it's not about just like reading a few books. You have to understand 
and you have to ask questions to people who have done this before and we've and we're doing this so i think really it's about education it's not about even even the money part it's it's not risky if you know what you're doing i i think the part where it took you months to get a car is really like emblematic of how uh like we think about it you you don't plan to spend all this time but Laura and I have reaffirmed to each other that we want to get another rental property numerous amounts of times. Mm-hmm. We've looked and spent quite a lot of time attempting to pick one. None have fit. And I would say for our three rental properties, perhaps on average, you know, if you count in all the failures, we maybe spent 30, 40 hours per property on average because there's a lot of dead ends. You know, you think it's great and it doesn't work out. It's at the last step and it dies. It's at the first step the deal dies. You have to be willing to put the time and the mm. effort in. And you know the returns are never going to be as good as building your own business because building your own business takes exponentially more time. And yeah. so like you'll never have it. The, the easiest way for you to make money is to put your money in Betterment, flip a slider, and you're done. But the returns will also be the lowest. And as you move up, you, it should be assumed that there is just more research and planning involved. Yep. And I do think that the rental property world tends to uh, appeal to the get rich quick environment. Mm. Um, that's, that's a big, ju- that's a big, you know, qualifier. So I would, I understand I would absolutely love- agree with you. Yeah. So I think um, it's, it shouldn't be because it isn't, it is a business. You are basically starting a business as a, and don't call yourself a landlord, call yourself a business owner. You're mm. running a business. You're providing a place for people to live. That is exactly what I think about when, yeah. Yep. And so you need to have all the business things in line and you need to understand how that, how that all works. And if you, and I, and that the biggest shift that I made in, in dealing with my rental property, which I knew nothing about, and obviously I'm accidental is just treating it like I treat my business, which I understand a lot because I've done all that work in the last 10 years to figure that out. And so like, yeah, I would not be afraid currently to buy another rental property, but I'm also not interested but I wouldn't be afraid because I knew I would know, okay, here's my plan. Here's my action, which is talk to every friggin' landlord you can find who own one or more properties and are actually making money. And then talk to the people who aren't making money and what their problems were. And then create a Google doc or a spreadsheet of like every single issue and how you're going to deal with that. And so before you put down 20 50, I don't know how many grand to, to, to get a rental property and you get your first tenant in there, you're going to know exactly what to do and who to call when you need to. That'd be a $250,000 property. If you Hell yeah, there. dog. Where you at? <laughs> I'm in California, well, baby. Uh, I'm tame. I, I put, I go for like $120,000 yeah. places. Well, it depends. I mean, if you're in California, you're not getting that. Mm, that is true. You know what I mean? And yeah, the, you know, there's there's so much to look. There's so much to learn. There's so much to learn, and take your time. Spend a and year. You know that that's the maybe the biggest point is the bigger the house, the bigger the risk. Yeah. And so you know what? Uh, I I think I do pretty good, but I can't afford to invest in California. It is too risky for me. Florida, that shit's cheap. Yeah. I could consider that. Indianapolis is yeah. Indianapolis cheap. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So. I don't know much about buying a property, but I know how to start a business. And I know what I would do if I was starting a brick and mortar business. 
I would, I would just, I would spend a year learning about brick and mortar businesses, <laughs> honestly. Uh, okay. Moving on to our final and massive question. Oh my God. Okay. What to do with a million dollar inheritance? I just turned 26. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> I envy you. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I just turned 26. I'm married. We are both employed full time with a pre tax household income of $110,000. Awesome. Yeah, it's great. Currently, my wife and I are saving about 45% of our post-tax slash post-retirement money. Also very awesome. Yes. Where the hundred million or where the hundred million (laughs) dollars, Jesus, where the million dollars comes in is I was giving a trust. I was given a trust from my grandfather when I turned 21 that is now worth $500,000. When I turn 35 years old, I can access the second half of the trust that is currently valued at roughly roughly four hundred and fifty thousand or sorry five hundred and forty thousand dollars. Sorry, dyslexia. My wife and I are both on the same page, and we pretend the money does not exist, and we do not touch it. We are both planning on er- retiring early at thirty-five to forty years old. Now to the simple retirement question: With already having over a million dollars at twenty-six. Is it worth to set up a Roth or just take all of the 45% of our money that we save from our take-home pay and keep adding it to the taxable brokerage accounts? We are trying to stockpile slash invest as much cash as possible and retire as early as we can. I'd love to hear you guys discuss my situation on the show. Respectfully submit it, Martin. Should we talk about his question on the show? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that's it uh if you missed anything no <laughs> um okay so the real question here is we know the situation mm-hmm. um with already having over a million dollars at 26 so i'm ass- all right so i'm assuming that uh he got his five hundred thousand dollars when he turned 21 and then his grandfather's other half at five hundred and forty thousand dollars will come in when he's 35 Got you. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? So, so one million total. And you know what? Let, let's go with his suggestion and let's pretend like the inheritance doesn't exist. Um, one, as you kind of like move up the food chain or even at the beginning, there's a, there's a point where it is abundantly obvious that the biggest expense you have in life is the government and taxes mm. higher than your mortgage and whatever. And it only grows bigger as you kind of like move higher up. So optimizing that number is always a good decision. And if you qualify for an IRA, specifically a Roth IRA, which I think is a cheat code, um, I would max that. Because Mm -hmm. if you're 26, and let's say you retire at like 40, like you said, or like, you know, 65 or whatever, anything in a Roth IRA is going to grow tax-free forever. Mm -hmm. The results is just going to be insane as compared to something that's pre-tax. Here's the problem with that, though. Mm. They're planning on retiring around 35 to 40 years old. That money they will not be able to take out as a 4%. So I'm curious, Matt, because you are kind of in that age range. Kind of maybe actually in that age range. (laughs) So wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Matt, you are now absolved of work. Okay. You know, you don't have your online businesses. Yep. Um, what do you do? 
How much money do I have? A million dollars. Just in, in inheritance. Let's, let's say let's say I just a got million inherited. and a half. Yeah. Where am I putting it? No, no. What are you what are you gonna do? You've retired. Yesterday was your last day. Okay. <laughs> um well I'm retired, so that opens I would probably start a business. <laughs> so <laughs> or or you know, maybe do rental properties if I was if I wasn't skilled in in like what I currently do or I wasn't interested in opening up like an actual store or doing that kind of like heavy lifting work, um, or you know, twenty four seven work, I would yeah, maybe look at investments that would take my time to like um uh, work on. Like like that would involve you. That would involve me, yeah. Where I'd have because, control of the investment and the and the returns, and then, um, yeah, basically earn and and earn from that money. I I think what people like maybe don't see, and and it's perhaps because they're chasing, you know, to pay rent or hit whatever goals, and like well, you know what, I just want to sit on a beach and do nothing. Yeah. And, you know, most people, you just quit your job and go to Bali and then you could sit on the beach and do nothing for relatively cheap for a while. I think you're going to find, try and do that for 30 days. Just yeah. just bring books. Yeah. Just, you know, like you're going to be so bored. Especially you're, if your glasses break. I mean, that's going to be. <laughs> that's right. They, they can't get you fill your prescription over there. Oh no, it, it just, you need to use your mind for something. Sudoku. We'll get old. Crosswords will get old. So when I read this question, knowing having like, quote unquote, retired from mm-hmm. compulsory work, it's like you have to fill your time with something. So do something for filling. Perhaps it's a business because it's it'll fund your hobby and you could use this money to help you, you start it. Here's the question. But uh, all right. Here's what I don't actually know the answer to technically. Mm. Um, the idea that he says, is it worth to set up a Roth? And I'm assuming an IRA, right? So, you know, or he's saying just take the 45%, meaning take the money that he's currently earning and uh, keep adding it to taxable brokerage accounts so not do retirement. Mm -hmm. And with the simple goal that he's trying to stockpile as much cash as possible to retire early. So I think, and I don't know if this is true or not, if he were to take his money, any of it, regardless of the, of the investment, or regardless of the inheritance or not, and put that money into a Roth IRA, you are not going to be able to touch that money until a certain age. So, so let's use real numbers. 45% okay. of 110000 yep. is $49,500. Okay. The max contribution to a Roth IRA in 2019 is, is $6,000. So. Yeah. Minus $6,000 from that. We have $43,500 remaining that you yep. need to do something with. So yep. max out Roth because it makes a ton of sense. You're not going to be able to touch to your 65, but we still have this like $43,500 that you have to do something with. Yes. Um, and so at this point, it sounds like you're just putting it into a taxable brokerage account, which is definitely it's something fine. to do. Yeah. Plenty uh, fine. Yep. So... Um, I, you know, I, the, I guess the big question is: it worse to set up a, a Roth? Y- yeah, but you're not going to be able to retire early with that Roth. Like you're not going to be able to use that money to retire mm-hmm. early. So if you're trying to retire early, I mean, a Roth is not 
I mean, why not? You're only putting $6,000 a year into it. Why not? Right. But if you're pretending like this million dollars doesn't exist, cool. But if you need it, it, it's there. And I imagine it's plenty taxable. It's not like in some tax sheltered something. Well, I wonder if he's saying, you know, can he roll that, you know, that next $500,000, you know, into a Roth? No. Mm. It'll max your contribution for the year. You could drip it over time, but at that point, no. But I also, you know, here's the other thing. In terms of what he's saving, it, it kind of feels like peanuts. Like, max it. Fine. Yeah. That $6,000 plugged. Let's talk about the... The rest of it. The 43000 Yeah, what do you... What do you uh, if you're trying to retire early, what do you do with it? I mean, you, you want to put it into something where you're going to get those returns. You know, you're going to actually see that cash come into your bank account. Right. Um, which would be... If you want to be retired, maybe it shouldn't consume a ton of your time either. Some. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it depends on the type of retirement you want. But yeah, you're 35 years old. Come on. You need to do something with your life. You're at the prime of your life. Yeah. I would say, like... Starting a business might be too risky, mm. you know, to, 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 to sink all that money into. I think, um, one, I think a majority of it should be crazy safe. Golden Butterfly, mm. uh, you know, Vanguard index funds, you know, Betterment, whatever. Something that's like going to provide pretty the lower returns, but it'll be, but it'll be safer. It'll be there. It'll yeah. grow. It'll grow. Um, the next the next one that I would probably look into, well, what would you do if you like I mean, it's a lot of money to be working with. So what do you where do you where do you put that where you can earn well so that you can retire mm-hmm. early, but then also kind of, you know, be have a little bit of security or a little bit of peace of mind? Uh I mean, I, I sprinkle it. So the golden butterfly is something where I think Laura and I overall are extremely aggressive with our investments. So golden butterfly is like taming the beast a bit. Love what Fundrise is doing, putting it in there. You know, rental properties could be something interesting, fun. You get to do this research, pick these places. It's engaging enough. Um, You know, obviously you could, you could go into companies that you love, like, Tesla or Apple, do research on them. Sure. Um, yeah. I think it's things where you could add value with your time. Yeah, I just think that the Roth thing isn't going to... It's like such peanuts. And it's not going to push the needle. No. Should you do it? Yes. Mm. You know? Um, maybe if you, if you start a business, maybe if you start set up an LLC, you could do like a SEP IRA where you can contribute a lot more per year. Um, like 50 grand, I believe it is. We're close to that. So, I mean, there could be something there, but yeah, if you're just setting up an individual Roth and say you set one up for you and your wife, that's, you know, $12,000 a year and you're saving $43,000 a year roughly. So like, yeah, I mean, that still feels like only a quarter of what you're saving. So, um, yeah, the rest of it, I think, yeah, if you just, you know, do a golden butterfly portfolio and then maybe some into real estate. I think you're, I mean, the real estate thing is really interesting because if you plan to retire, like you have like cash flow at least. And that cash flow can be reinvested. 
And like you feel differently about life when you have cash flow. If you have, say, $2 million to your name and you're 35, it's now a race between your death and $2 million. Yeah. Of which there may be 60 years, you know. If you can make cash flow, you'll you'll act and feel different. Yeah. So I think it's very possible uh to get to be retired at 35 at this at this rate. If you're saving, you know, if you had that five hundred thousand dollars when you turned twenty-one and that's been invested or tucked away. And then for the last five years, you've been saving 45% of your post-tax retirement and you're 26. You have another nine years of putting $43,000 away. Plus when you turn 35, you're going to have another half a million dollars, you know, dropped on you, um, which will give you, what is it? 40 times nine, four times nine would be like 360,000. You'll save in those nine years. Um, so you'd have like almost another million by the time you were 35, you already have, if you say you Four already times have times nine. Yeah, it's 39. So 40, 36. right? 36, 36. So you've had $360,000 saved, mm. right? So $360,000 plus you get the $540,000 when you're 35 plus whatever you currently have. It's probably, you're probably looking at about $2 million when you're 35 years old. 4% rule will give you about $80,000 a year to live on, which is close to your $110,000 plus any of the investments that maybe provide a little bit more than the average return. And yeah, you should be, that's easy. That should be pretty easy to do. If you go by the, sim- the grid, like the stupid simple grid for shockingly simple math behind retirement, mm-hmm. if you're saving 45%, you, like, and you were only relying on that money, you got 19 years left. If you were starting at zero savings. Right. So I don't know. I hope that's somewhat helpful. I know you just wanted us to discuss, but there's a lot to um, to unpack there. But really, it sounds kind of simple. Like you're doing everything possibly right to retire at 35 years old. You're doing the fire thing for sure. It becomes more of like an existential question. Like we'd have to talk to you. If you have, if you made $3,000 and you need to become financially secure, we could like get in there and tell you exactly what to do. But Mm -hmm. now it's like, I don't know. What are you going to do with your life? I think what the million dollars inheritance does is it is it pushes you to retire a bit earlier with a bit more money it, you know, per month so or per year. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're somebody who wants to retire at 35 and you're saving half of your income and you and you hit a million dollars when you hit 35, well, you're living on a $40,000 a year salary if you're taking out 4%. Mm-hmm. But with another million just kind of thrown in there, same savings rate, now you're now you can take $80,000 a year as opposed to 40. So I think, you know, that inheritance really just got you to a number a bigger number faster. Mm-hmm. If you look at it that way. And 35 is a good year to, to, to do it. It's like a pretty solid year. And who knows? Like it's, it's currently valued at $540,000. But if it's sitting in a trust and obviously earning interest, because that's, you know, five, it's, there's an extra 40 grand in there, who knows what it'll be worth? It could be worth 600000 Yeah. And you're just slightly better. So, and then you just obviously want that money to keep earning. So just, you know, transfer it into a thing that has the, keeps earning. Good problem to have. Mm. So hopefully that was something for you, Martin. Uh, Thank you for the question. And thank you to everybody else who submitted a question. Keep them coming. And if you missed anything in this episode, we'll have everything in the show notes. You can either check your preferred podcast app 
or visit listenmoneymatters.com slash show. And please subscribe wherever you normally listen to podcasts and tell your friends about us. Point them to your favorite episodes and hopefully, just like you, they'll become a subscriber. And if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to discuss on future episodes of the show, please email us listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. And all the tools and resources that we normally mention on this show are always available at listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. That's it. Later, Andrew. Later, dude. Please tell your friends about this show. Thank <laughs> you.